0: rink Vancouver. Free game, post-game, every game presented by Bodog with sports odds to free casino games. Make a play at bodog.net. Wadden and JPAT here with you with another week of off-season pods. And we're starting to get into the nitty-gritty here, JPAT. Uh, the draft is within our sights right now. The Stanley Cup final is almost closing, although I think it's going to extend another game. We'll get to that a little bit later on, though, because I want to follow up on our predictions. But... Uh, You know, the Canucks getting set for the draft, and our buddy Harmon Dow was in Buffalo for the combine there, and some names start popping up. You know, perhaps those that are, you know, more focused on uh, prospects could tell us a little bit more about these names. But as I look at them, I wonder, like, what is the need for the Canucks at 11? In my opinion, it's a defenseman. But as I look at, you know, Craigslist and other uh, draft rankings I, I see a lot of wingers hanging around 11 there and if I'm the Canucks like I feel like I got a lot of wingers no like feels like you got to build out that blue line right now and that's a pretty important piece to have at 11.
1: Yeah and I think we know that they've got a surplus of wingers and even through the draft uh, like Kara Mackey uh, last year and you go back uh, Pod Colson and Hoaglander and Danila Klamovic, the year that they didn't have a, a first rounder. And so it does. It feels like, I mean, we know organizationally the depth is absolutely, the defensive depth is absolutely at the top of the list. And then down the middle as well, you can never have enough centers. And so, uh, you know, it's funny because the, the big three are the big three. And I'll be shocked if they don't go in that order of Bernard and Fantilli and, and Leo Carlson. But after that, like you, re- and we say it every year, but this year, particularly to me, feels like there's so much volatility. Uh, Mitch Kauf is such a wild card, uh, you know. And and so, you get a guy like Craig Button that covers these prospects as closely as anybody, and he comes up with his Craigslist, which is a ranking, it's not a mock draft, his is a ranking of you know the, the best players. Uh, and it was interesting because at 11, he has Matthew Wood, the kid out in Nanaimo, who played a couple of seasons in the BC Hockey League. Last year was at uh, U of Connecticut, a freshman there. He's a big right shot, right winger. So on Craigslist, he's got him at 11. But as we know, in the top 10, you know, there's going to be a team that reaches and there will be a couple of guys that fall. And so. Uh, you know, that's where the real volatility comes into any draft. But Harm Dial in Buffalo doing some nice reporting, covering the combine and keeping his ear to the ground about players that perhaps had longer meetings or a dinner with the Vancouver Canucks. And the names that he mentioned, Tom Willander, who's a right-shot defenseman, which absolutely would be, you know, to me, the biggest need for the Vancouver Canucks now and moving forward. This is a guy that comes out of that Rogla program in Sweden but it's interesting because he's going to go to Boston University so a a young Swede who is going to play NCAA hockey and get adjusted to life in North America and actually I like that Um, Tom Olander is rated eighth on Craigslist so Button's got him eighth so you know in the neighborhood of 11th for the Vancouver Canucks Uh, Harm also mentions Colby Barlow who was a high-scoring left winger out of Owen Sound and again with the wingers uh, he's 10th on Button's list. And then Nick Danielson, big right-handed center. Yeah, I know that got your attention. Right hand and center. Yeah, He's a Red Deer kid, so an Albertan, but he played for the Brandon Wheat Kings in the Western Hockey League. And apparently those three, Willander, Barlow, and Danielson, were three guys that the Canucks sort of spent a little extra attention on at the Combine. So read into that what you will. You know, it's one of those, is it something? Is it nothing? I don't think you can say it's nothing. I mean, the fact that they wanted to. Uh, dig a little deeper on these three guys. And look, Patrick Elvine, and I know that they've got a scouting department, and but the buck stops with him. He's the GM. You know, he's a Swede. We know that they went and they found a couple of Swedes last year, and Nils and Philip Johansson. Uh, you know, Tom Belander checks off an awful lot of boxes there. Uh, you know, and that's a name that seems to be picking up some steam in hockey circles, uh, not just with the Canucks, but Willander in the second half of the season, his performance at the U18, all those types of things. He's a guy that's on the rise. So, you know, will he go in the top 10? Is he going to be available to the Vancouver Canucks? What about the defenseman in front of him? There's so much talk about. David Reinbacker is the big right-handed D. He seems like the big prize uh, for teams that are looking for defensemen, he's Austrian, but he played in the Swiss League last year. And then Axel sandin Pelica, another righty, a little undersized, but does a lot of things well. Uh, he he there, there seems to be some real differing of opinion on him. Craig Button had him listed fifth on his list. That's higher than most. Um, he's 15 on this is
0: Elite Prospects top 32 yeah, final so, ranking. He's 15. You know,
1: but between five and fifteen, like there's a fair bit of distance there. So uh keep your eye on Axel sandin Pelik, He had nice world juniors and and again is very much on the radar as one of the top defensive prospects in this draft, but he's not a particularly big guy. He's not a physical guy. Uh he's more in the mold of a puck moving, skilled, sort of modern defenseman. And then you know, I mentioned Reinbacker as well. Like, most people seem to think that he's going to be the first defenseman off the board. But, again, we'll, you know, we'll see how that all plays out. you know, the thing is, like, this is a forward-heavy draft. There's no doubt about that. But there will be a D-man taken in the top 10. There just, there will. Like, that's just almost fact. You can pretty much chisel that into stone. And so then the question is, if you're the Canucks and you've got your eyes set on drafting by position rather than best player available... Um, you know, we'll see how many go before they get to the podium. Then there's the question of do they keep that 11th pick? Because we certainly spent enough time talking about that may be a part of the way out of their cap jail is to move off the 11th pick and move further back into the draft. Would a guy like Tom Willander be available to them deeper in the draft? And if so, how deep, how low can you go? Um, You know, and then we mentioned Mitchkoff as well. Like, what if he drops out of the top 10? What if he's sitting there at 11? Like, You know, there's a guy with all his skill, but also a lot of questions around him and his availability. And, um, you know, do you go there or do you just say, no, like, we want the security of a player that we know and we can track his his development here in the next bunch of years. So, I mean, every year it's the same at the draft. Like, there's the tiers. The Canucks sitting at 11th are going to have options without a doubt. And we're now just over two weeks out. So uh, draft talk is going to pick up. Again, we'll see if, you know, I would imagine they get to Nashville still in possession of that 11th pick. I I would think if they're going to trade off of the 11th overall pick, it probably happens on draft day or even on the draft floor potentially uh, as players come off the board. Um, You know, but I don't think that they're likely to peddle their first round pick ahead of uh, the draft actually kind of at least draft day uh, in Nashville. So two weeks out, and this is great. Like this is, you know, now it's going to feel to me at least like things are starting to heat up in the hockey world as we get right down to the the short strokes and the and the Stanley Cup ultimately being presented here, whether it is tomorrow night or whether it's later in the week here.
0: Well, Landers eighth on Craigslist. Yeah. But as you mentioned, this is just a ranking of the players, right? As opposed to a straight sort of mock draft. Yeah, exactly. Elite Prospects has them at 23 on their top 32.
1: (laughs) So you can see the swings
0: between the, the, the differing of opinions, right? Yep. What do you think, though? Like, do you think they pick at 11? Like, do you like or I know, you know, everything you said right there, but like, will they actually use that pick at 11, you think? Or, you know, could you see them trading it to perhaps, you know, get a player that's, you know, ready to go now, as opposed to having to wait for somebody maybe two to three years?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, the fact that they think they're sort of in win-now That's mode, I suppose, I, I I, I, can't rule it out. I don't want to see it happen. Again, this is a team, like, you think of where they've been and how little success they've had, and they have peddled their first-rounder, or a first-rounder, you know, three in the last four years, which is just nonsensical, and yet it's happened to get JT Miller, to get O.E.L. and Garland, to get Philip Peronik here. A fourth, first-round pick for a team that, You know, hasn't sniffed the playoffs in a while. And your guess is as good as mine, whether they're going to be a playoff team next year. So, you know, if they trade off 11, to me, trading back in the draft still means... I've always said, like, and we did, like, what's a successful June going to look like? And to me, one of the sort of pillars of a successful June will be leaving Nashville with a first-round selection. Now, that doesn't mean holding on to 11. If they trade back in the draft able to get assets maybe use those assets to as a sweetener like this is where i want patrick Alvina and his staff to get after it get creative we've seen some other gms here lately getting creative so you know if if that's what it comes to is trading back in the draft to you know maybe a drop from 11 to 15 or 18 i know lots has been made about chicago and 19 and uh and and you know, I've got time for that discussion. I do, because I, I, I'm really curious to see what the Blackhawks do. And I always, anytime you go to the draft, like I, the teams that have multiple first-rounders, they're the ones to keep an eye on, right? Like, they can take wild swings. They can package up first-rounders and start to make some moves. And, you know, will the Canucks get in on that game of let's make a deal? You know, we'll find out. But we're going to find out pretty soon, because it is the 12th of June today. And the first round of the draft. And again, I don't know why it's a midweek draft this year. Like, that's a little different. Uh, it's
0: usually over the weekend. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Whatever the case, uh, Wednesday and Thursday are draft days. and Then Friday's kind of the uh, calm before the free agent storm. So, uh, Canucks have a fair bit of work to do. It's been awfully quiet around them. But uh, that quietness can't last forever. Like, they're going to have to come out of hiding here. Whether we hear from Patrick Alveen ahead of the draft... Uh, GMs are usually made available the day before, um, you know, but we've seen this too, that so little traveling media, uh, around this Vancouver Canucks hockey club anymore. And I don't know who's going to the draft and who's going to be there to talk to Patrick Elvin, but, uh, hopefully there is a media availability and, you know, because we haven't heard from the general manager really since, uh, the end of the season here.
0: Mitch Koff could be the guy that really puts this whole draft on its ear. Because right yeah. now, most people have him in the top five, maybe top four. You said the big three guys. I think there might be a big four here with Mitch the way people are talking about him. The only problem is he's got three years left on a KHL contract. Could you see, perhaps, maybe some slippage, perhaps to 11?
1: Or is that too far? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you could from what I've read. And uh, I, I still think that it's a big three. And then there's some separation. And I think the uncertainty around uh, his immediate availability is what drops him into the next tier for me. But all it takes is one team that, you know, gets hot and horny over a guy and um, and they make that selection. So, yeah, I, I think there, without a doubt, as we sit two weeks out, he's clearly a wild card that, you're right, could kind of turn the draft, uh, at least the first, half of the first round upside down
0: yeah it'd be interesting to see I'm, I'm looking at just I've got a few mock drafts open right now I most most of them have them in the top five if not all of them but an interesting spot a landing spot would be I think Montreal for him if the Habs could again you'd have to wait you're probably gonna have to wait three years you're gonna have to do the Caprice off weight but it might be worth the wait from what uh, we're hearing about this this kid have you heard that Connor Garland's a pain in the ass to play against I read that over the weekend <laughs> I think it's the first time I've ever heard that though that was me, too. I, I thought maybe he might be a pain in the ass to play with because of all those <laughs> spins that he does sometimes. Like, dude, stop, pass me the buck.
1: Yeah, I and mean, that came but from yeah, a, that's an interesting note. Arthur Staple piece in The Athletic looking at trade targets for the New York Rangers. So it was now to market report, and he's trying to link the Canucks and the Rangers and Garland and Alex Lafreniere again. And of course, uh, his agent was Emily Castingay. And I guess, like, you know, he'll always sort of be linked to the Canucks as long as she's under their employ. Um, but it, I, I don't know. Like I get a little bit of a kick out of out-of-market player assessments. So I don't know who's feeding Arthur Staple that information. But Connor Garland plays hard. He's competitive. The guy wants to win. But, like, pain in the ass. is That's just not a terminology that I've ever had anybody use when talking about him. Like, you know, doesn't play over the edge doesn't really even play with an edge again he's competitive but you know he's not a guy that's going to stick you he's not a guy that is causing crap after the whistles and face washes and you know he's not physical he's not going to fight all those so like to me Matthew Kachuk is the definition of a guy that's a pain in the ass to play against and maybe Matthew Kachuk's in a league of his own right now in that regard but I don't know like like I don't know. I'm having trouble coming up like where would that assessment have come from when talking about Connor Garland?
0: Who's a pain in the ass on the Canucks to play against?
1: Well, that's a massive issue. Like yeah. we've said that an awful lot. That you know, is there anybody that is truly out to leave his mark on an opponent? I mean, Luke Shen could have you know, when he was here.
0: But even that's not a pain in the ass. Like he's just holy shit that's luke shan coming for me <laughs> you know what i mean like he's yeah. the sheriff he legitimately sheriffs like sure places enough. the ice but like you know like the brad Marchand and like brad Marchand and, and matthew kachuk are a illegal of uh, their own when it comes to you know the rat king status if you will like they can play that role plus they can burn you because they're really good players but there's nobody on the canucks that you're like god damn it i gotta play against that guy tonight like that right. guy just drives me crazy and I don't think it, it can be sort of manufactured as well. Like, it, you just have to have it, and I don't think anyone on the Canucks has it.
1: No, I think that's a fair assessment. And I often wonder, like, you know, what kind of mark does the Vancouver Canuck team leave on its opponent, right? Like, what do opponents, when they leave Rogers Arena, you know, do they feel like, oh, man, like, you know, we got the win, but we paid a price. Like, I don't think many teams feel that way, quite frankly. Um, you know, and, and obviously... It's a speed and skill game, and the name of the game is to put the puck in the net, but it's also always going to be a physical game. Like, that's just hockey at its most basic, and I I think, I mean, when Rick Tockett says they need some toughness, you know, I think he's looking at that, and toughness can come in different forms and shapes and all those types of things as well, not just fighter toughness, but, yeah, I, I, I would be all for the Canucks trying to find a spark plug, a guy that is willing to you know, get in and mix things up a little bit more than they've got. You know, at times, JT Miller, he can play with some snarl. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's a couple of nights a year where I'd say he can be a pain in the ass to play against, but not 82 nights a year. And I think even if you ask JT, like, you know, that's not sort of the road that he's looking to, he's not trying to be a weasel and those types of guys, like, he... You know he's a well-rounded player that has a little edge to his game, certainly. But uh, there's plenty. Let's just there is plenty of room for the Vancouver Canucks to add in that department. And I have to think that you know those types of players are on their wish list here. I mean, they need more skill, they need more speed. uh, They again, it just brings back the fact that they need a whole lot more of a lot of things to uh, get ultimately where they want to go.
0: Well, we're less than a month out of free agency opening, so you know maybe bat around a couple of names
1: and if that would be
0: something the Canucks are looking for would you be interested in perhaps a Michael
1: Bunting I knew you were going there I knew it I knew it <laughs> I knew it you've brought him up before I'm so obvious I know oh my god they can't afford him as an unrestricted
0: free agent so if you could move out of Garland would you move in but a, a, you know what I mean like the thing is with him though is like I don't you're not scared to play against him. I, I feel like you kind of want someone you're a little bit scared to get to play against as well. He's annoying. Like he's super annoying. And he can play a little bit as well. I yeah. mean 20 20 goal scorer in the league a couple times now. But I think if you are looking Man, he played he played for true. Pocket in Arizona. Yeah. If you're just looking for links, yeah. We, we talk about, you know, you want somebody that can, you know, be a pest, but is a pest enough? Do you want him to be like a tough guy? pest too because Michael Bundy nobody's scared of him like they want to go at him but he is he does play that pest role pretty well yeah
1: I mean obviously a guy's got to be able to play And bunting can like we know that the days of the one-dimensional guy are pretty much over so that's what again like I'm not looking for the Canucks to find you know the next heavyweight champ in the National Hockey League I want a guy though that is willing to get his nose dirty to get in and you know as you said like be aware like that teams have to be aware when he's out there on the ice and and that you know they almost game plan when they touch down at YVR they know like this is a guy that we know is going to be in the middle of things and uh if it was easy to find those types of players every team in the league would have one so they are a commodity I, I know a
0: guy that's probably available at the right price but he's old Corey
1: Perry could you imagine Corey Perry coming here? I couldn't after all these years. But the beauty of Corey Perry is like he has extended his career because he's been willing to play on these league minimum deals, but he can still be fairly effective. So, you know, I don't think Corey Perry is coming to Vancouver, but I don't think Corey Perry's done in the National Hockey League yet either. Like, I, I you know, it wouldn't surprise me.
0: I think he wants to win, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about Looch, though? Local boy. Like, is that what we're looking at? Is, is somebody like fourth line type guy? Because, you know, the, the top six guys that are, are pests and have snarl or whatever, they, they're tough to get, yeah. right? Like, teams don't, don't let go of those guys. You know, there's also a Garnet Hathaway. Like, I, I'm looking at a, a big list right, right now, and we can bat them around on a, on a separate pod. But just a few names here. Like, Looch might be an option, actually. Now, the problem is, is what what does Looch command on, on the open market nowadays? And do you think he can still play?
1: That's the bigger question. Um, you know, I I think he played almost every game for the Calgary Flames, but... Yes, yeah, 77. You know, yeah. is he effective? Because, first of all, like, toughness, if it's going to be effective, has to be in the lineup, right? Like, toughness in the press box does you no good. Good point, yeah. And, I mean, I guess with the speed of the game, like, I, I just think with what little funds the Canucks have to spend this summer, that doesn't feel like... The best way to spend their money on a 35 year old tough guy, sure. even though he's got ties to Vancouver and may want to come here to finish his career. And, uh, you know, so I don't know. I, he, that's curious to me to see. Again, all it takes is one general manager out there to value what you've got to offer. And I think there is a team that will sign Milan Lucic for a fairly low value deal. I don't think it'll be the Vancouver Canucks. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience, whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving corps. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them. The dome will be rocking. Should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com. And check this out: they start at just thirty bucks, and kids seventeen and under can get in for fifteen. So bring the noise. Fill the dome.
0: All right, let's dig into some playoff talk, Stanley Cup final talk, as game four wrapped up over the weekend. And of course, all our Stanley Cup playoff talk is presented by Jason Hominick at Jason.morgan.
1: Yeah, is game four finished? Like That scrum at yeah. the end, I think, was... It, still going. It was a three-day event. It was They're still chasing <laughs> Petrangelo seriously. around the ice right now. <laughs> yeah, like, look, Florida doesn't go quietly. We, that much we know, we've come to expect that, and that was the case, but they also... Can't afford to fall behind 3-zip the way they did the other night. And uh, then you're playing catch-up against a very good Vegas team. And ultimately, they were able to you know, hold down the 4th there at the end before uh, the scrum happened. So uh, I had Vegas in 5. I'm looking pretty good right now as they head for home. But again, I'll give Florida every opportunity. Uh, you know, I, I've learned this much through this playoff run that I, I shouldn't bet against them. But I think I heard earlier as well, like they've never won in Vegas in regular season, didn't win in either of the first two games uh, in this series. So they're going to be up against it. And you might be surprised to hear this, but something tells me that Vegas, as a city, it'll be pre-pumped and fired up. Um, I want to see what a Stanley Cup parade looks like on the strip. Like, but I, I want to see what a, a Vegas Stanley Cup ring looks like. Oh if you're geez. the Vegas
0: Golden Knights, <laughs> you're going to have to... It'll be the full fist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: It's like a glove. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, let's see what happens. Uh, extra day off here. We know that Matthew Kachuk is uh, feeling the effects of the big hit by Kolasar and didn't play all that much on Saturday. So extra day between games, that may help him. Uh, but I have to think that uh, the Vegas Golden Knights uh, lock it down and get the job done, even though somehow, way, you think this thing's going back to South Florida. Yeah, I do. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> I only do it because I want my prediction to be right. Because I said... Vegas in six so I think I'm going to take the Panthers with my best bet on the money line it's pretty good value at plus 150 so why not although it would be a great story if Vegas can do it on home ice and in front of their fans but I see it going back to Florida and I think the Panthers are going to win I'm not saying with confidence though I'm just trying to be right because I want me to, to get my prediction right, and not you. Although when you said five, I was blown away by that. And now that we're going through the series, I'm 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 not at all like Vegas is hands down the better team in this series. Like Florida is going to have to find something, and and it can't just be goalie Bob, right? right? Yeah. Like, and you know he st- he was able to steal the one game, but what well, last game shots were even in that. It was just that Florida was playing uh, chase the game, like you said.
1: And I just I like the fact that you know they. They're so deep, and we've talked about Marcia So's had an incredible run, and Jack Eichel's had a great first playoff, but, you know, the other night was Chandler Stevenson. Some nights it's going to be Mark Stone. Like, you know, we've seen that the depth guys have come through and scored goals. Like, they're just a team through and through. Like, they're the very definition of a really good team where, you know, they may not have a 120-point guy, but their top-end guys don't have many nights off. And on the few nights that they do, lower in the lineup, step up, and it's a different guy seemingly every night. So, uh, like the way they're built, like the way they're coached, and, you know, that defense core, we've talked about that enough. I think people recognize that uh, it's damn hard to get to the front of the net and ultimately hard to get pucks past Aiden Hill.
0: It's funny, though, because I heard, um, I don't know where I heard it, but people were talking about Marchessault. And just yeah, sir, he's leading the playoffs in points right now. He's tied with Kachuk and Rupe Hints with like 24 points. But all, of all the you know goals that Marcia so has scored, like what's the biggest one? Right, like he's he's piling up the points, but yep. is he hands down the Conn Smythe Trophy winner? Like, well, I, don't, right I don't think he's uh, hands down.
1: I don't think the fact that there are so many candidates again backs up my point of you know this team and different guys, different nights. Uh you know he has scored some big goals for them, but they don't lean on him like you know he just I, I like his consistency more than anything is that you know this guy and and I think you were the one that pointed out to me uh you know in Vegas's first run to the Stanley Cup final as well like he was really productive that two years if you take the two years that Vegas has gone to the Stanley Cup final like doesn't he have 21 goals in 40 some games or something like you know it's pretty damn impressive stuff
0: let me pull him up here. Yeah, he's got. We were looking at this the other day. He's got uh, the, in the two runs. He has twenty four plus twenty one points in forty two games. So what's that? Forty five yeah. points, yeah. and uh, twenty eight or twenty one goals. Excuse me. So yeah, uh, he it just he likes playing in the playoffs. And I'm looking at the uh, con Smythe Trophy odds right now. He is still the odds on favorite at minus six hundred. But there is some fantastic value elsewhere. Like Aiden Hill at plus eight hundred. Jack Eichel at plus twelve hundred uh mark stone plus 1800 like you know if somebody has a big like if jack eichel gets a hat trick in in the in, in game five like does, does he not vault up right and at plus 1200 i mean there's some really good value there so uh head over to bodog and if you think that perhaps somebody uh, uh, not named jonathan marshall could win the con's mind you're going to in great odds hopefully you can win yourself some money
1: Of course, all of our playoff talk here on RinkWide, a presentation of Jason Hominick at Jason.Mortgage. He is our mortgage specialist. He should be your mortgage specialist as well. He's been saving RinkWide and Sakaris and Price listeners thousands of dollars, and he wants to work with you to make sure that you've got the best product for you and your household, whether you're new to the housing market, whether you're up for a renewal. Even if you have questions about your current mortgage and you've never worked with Jason, one of the services that he offers is his time, and he's happy to walk through uh, the mortgage that you've got to make sure that it is the right product for you. So you got nothing to lose. Trust me here. The Florida Panthers, they got some things to lose here, like the Stanley Cup. But you've got nothing to lose with a phone call to Jason Hominick. All of his contact info on his easy-to-remember website, jason.mortgage. and kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome.
0: And rinkwide wide Vancouver is presented by Bodog. Make a play at Canada's choice for free casino games, sports odds, and poker strategies. Uh, Let's veer a little outside of the hockey rink, although there, there is a rink hole at the RBC Canadian Open. The penalty box hole at 14th, the par 3 there uh, is a great uh, atmosphere and it looked like it was a hell of a lot of fun, but nobody was having more fun than Abbotsford's Nick Taylor, JPAT, who won the RBC Canadian Open. I know I had Corey Connors as my best bet on Friday. He didn't pull through, but a Canadian did a four-hole playoff And with a dramatic finish, a 72-foot putt on the fourth playoff hole. The longest putt of his career ended a 69-year drought at the Canadian Open. A Canadian won it all, and he's our very own Nick Taylor at Abbotsford.
1: Yeah, and that putt looked familiar to me. Like, I've seen you hole that putt at Hazelmere so many times. Many times. So not quite as much at stake, but I've seen you just roll it in from 70-plus.
0: I took five bucks off a dolly wall. There
1: you go. Uh, (laughs) Incredible stuff. Like truly unbelievable script and yeah. uh, to finish the way he did. And then that scene on the 18th green and Adam Hadwin getting tackled and all that kind of stuff. Oh uh, I mean, like, that's going to be a moment for the rest of our lives. It will. Uh, and I know there's this great debate about, you know, greatest sports moments in Canadian history. You know, it's not at the very top Sidney Crosby and the golden goal here in Vancouver that I think will always uh, rank at the top unless something is uh, able to come in above it. and um, I'm all eyes. Hey, I, 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 I don't know what that would be, but uh, yeah, maybe in uh, in our lifetime, we'll see something greater than the golden goal. But like lots of great Canadian moments. And I put out a tweet and then and, and lots of people added to it. And it reminds you, like there have been a ton of really incredible moments for Canadian athletes, particularly on Canadian soil, uh, obviously abroad as well. But uh, Nick Taylor's just a good dude. Like, down to earth, easygoing guy, pretty unassuming. You know, well, I'm, he
0: did the walk-along interview. Well, he's like, le- like nobody does that. Well, and, and then he sort of unraveled a little bit. And I'm like, wait, maybe he might have regretted yeah. that interview. I was
1: I, I kind of cringed when I first saw that. Now, they were clear to point out, like, that had been prearranged. And he stuck with it. Although I thought, you know, in contention, he might take a pass there. But, uh, you know, that's the kind of guy he is. And, and again, just like... Not the biggest profile in the golf world, obviously, but three-time PGA winner now, including an RBC Canadian Open. So I thought it was cool all the way you know Mike Weir was hanging around and and all of his buddies uh, that are out there on tour pulling for him. And we'll see if he can pack it up with uh, a showing at the U.S. Open this week and goes in obviously with a. Uh, a ton of confidence, although I don't know how much sleep he would have got last night as uh, he made his way uh, from Toronto to Los Angeles. But uh, yeah, just a really cool moment. And you know, to tie it back to what we do here at Rinkwide, uh, there is a connection with Nick Taylor and the Vancouver Canucks. Um, you know, I saw the Canucks congratulated him. I saw the Abbotsford Canucks congratulated him as well. Uh, after his first PGA Tour win, the Sanderson Farms, uh, a bunch of years ago, PGA Tour productions followed him around. Uh, a day in the life of Nick Taylor here in Vancouver. And it started with appearances on morning TV talk shows, but ultimately worked its way to a night in a suite at Rogers arena, uh, where he was uh, introduced on the jumbotron and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I also know Dan Murphy's from Abbotsford and good friends with Nick, actually. Yeah, Murph
0: plays with them a lot. Yeah. yeah. And
1: yeah. I know during the pandemic, uh, Murph and, and Nick Taylor teed it up out of Northview and they were playing with Troy Stetcher and Elias Petterson as well. So there is this connection between Nick Taylor and the Vancouver Canucks, and I just thought I would point that out on a podcast that is devoted to Canuck coverage.
0: Nice of Murph to not give us the call
1: there. Yeah, look he had a foursome, yeah.
0: so, you know. All right,
1: all right. I think okay. you were probably fifth on the, you know, first on the wait list if uh, P.D. had dropped out or, yeah.
0: <laughs> Um, that penalty box hole though—that's fantastic. I, I think they've really carved themselves out a, a, a little niche there. I like that
1: they have. I,
0: <sighs> you don't like it? No, 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 no. Is I, it too live golf for you? No, I,
1: I like okay. just about everything except the singing of the national anthem. Got to be a what bit much like for every single, every single. Yes, no, yes. every like Taylor Pendrith. Like, he's not in contention. whatever he's coming through, and they're I, I don't oh know. my. J. pad if you're
0: Taylor Pendrith, yeah. And everybody gets it sung to you, except for you, because you're down the leaderboard. Get out of here. It's in Canada once a year. Let's celebrate the Canadians. I'm against you on that one. I thought it was fantastic. The only thing, though, that I'm a little uh, bird hot about, can they bring it to BC? Like, can can we bring it it back to BC? In an answer,
1: no, um, which is just ridiculous, especially like this year of all year, like there should have been a synergy as they got their scheduling done. The U.S. Open in L.A., like how much better of a field would they have had if guys had played in Vancouver the week before and made a two-hour trek down to uh, Los Angeles? So, uh, you know, the last time it was here was 2011 out at Shaughnessy. Nick Taylor missed the cut that year. Adam Hadwin kind of burst onto the scene. He ended up tying for fourth, uh, which was incredible then. But I tweeted this out last week that, like, you know, they were both really young in their careers. It feels like they're not going to get a chance to play the National Open in the primes of their career in their home province, which just feels like a shame when you think of what BC has done for Canadian golf here, and particularly yesterday with Nick Taylor rising up. Like The only thing that would have made it better had that been here somewhere um, in the province of British Columbia, where he wasn't born here. He was born in Winnipeg, but uh, raised in Abbotsford. Well, I'll get Jay Monahan on the phone. We'll, we'll figure this he's out. He's been a little busy although he might he might want to talk to you he might take your call these days nobody else wants to talk to him but uh (laughs) no i mean look for all the corporate reasons and rvc obviously it's headquartered in toronto and they can schmooze all their clients and all that kind of stuff uh and i get there are logistics as well and we've got the women's open the cp they've added letters to it now with the merger of the railways but um they've got the women are at shaughnessy if that all goes well. Like maybe that'll be you know a message to Golf Canada that it's long overdue to bring it back here to the West Coast. And whether it's Shaughnessy or they find some other venue, again, there are a lot of logistics about corporate tents and hospitality and um, you know parking and those types of things. It's not as simple as just finding a nice golf course and saying here uh, have at it, but. Uh, there are world class city. We can host a there are, yeah, oh, it. There Yeah, I was to gonna get. say there's more to golf in <laughs> Canada than the Greater Toronto area, and so yeah. I mean, look, I, I love the way it all ended for Nick Taylor. Still didn't think an awful lot of Oakdale as a golf club. I wonder though, like if the 18th was hokey. I felt like yeah, and and, and I wonder like does this change how we think of Oakdale as a golf club and as a host site for future Canadian Opens because Nick Taylor has created this iconic moment. Like, do they feel they have to go back? Probably. And I'm not so sure that that's in the best interest of the golf tournament. Uh, but whatever. Uh, we got ourselves a champ. He happened to be a BC boy. So uh, just an awesome day of sitting back and watching. And, uh, hey, we salute Nick Taylor. We should also salute Mike Malott, our UFC fighter guest on Rinkwide last week. Because he got the job done at Rogers Arena on Saturday night. Yeah, not a champ, but he won. Yes.
0: He beat Adam Fujit, who fights out of uh, Eugene, Oregon, with a second-round submission at uh, UFC 289. We had boots on the ground there, I saw, for Go-Goat Sports, and some good uh, footage if you want to check it out on the Go-Goat Sports social there. But, uh, yeah, Mike Malott, the Canadian, getting the win,
1: and uh, looked like a good time, well, you know, for those that were, were down there. Yeah, but. his biggest win was avoiding massive injury, though, when that railing collapsed. That was him on the walkout to the ring, And that railing, not not a good look on Rogers Arena that apparently is a renovation site again this summer. I don't know if that played into it, but uh, never good. I'm glad that, I mean, it sounded like minor injuries. Nobody seriously hurt. But scary stuff there when that many people are pushing against the railing and all of a sudden it gives way. But congratulations to uh,
0: Mike Mulatt and, of course, to Nick Taylor, both winners over the weekend. Mike Mulatt certainly got the Rink Wide boost. So. Absolutely. Well, yeah, he, he came on there. He was probably thinking about the interview the whole time he was going into the <laughs> ring, like, those guys, man, they got me jacked up for this. <laughs> Hopefully you were jacked up for this podcast because this has been another edition of the Rink Wide Vancouver podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember Rink Wide, is the show. <laughs>